Welcome to the emotional rollercoaster that is Blokes Don't Talk. I'm your host, Braden Anderson. For the OGs out there, yes, the intro has died, sadly. It's time for us to move forward. For those of you new along, look, thank you so much for coming and supporting your loved one as they sit down with me and, and tell their truth. Uh, we sit down with an everyday bloke each week and we take them on a bit of a journey through life's ups and downs. We ask them about what is the best and the worst thing they've experienced in life. We ask them about what's the best and worst thing they've experienced in themselves. It's unfiltered, it's raw, it's brutally honest. And fuck, isn't that a sexy thing in 2020? We'd love to hear your feedback on the episode. Please jump on our socials, Facebook and Instagram. I don't need to tell you that we're on all good podcast platforms because you found us because you're just that clever. Enjoy the episode, guys. All right, so a bit of an overdue um, episode. This one with with someone that's basically a, a pseudo big brother for me. I was just saying before, and and um, we've got distracted. And and last week I was busy and and um, had to had to flake on on this fella, which uh, worked out quite well because he was just telling me he was pretty hangover last Sunday. So um, welcome along, Colin. Lovely to talk to you, sir. Nickelback, mate. Where'd it go? <laughs> no, no more Nickelback. Oh <laughs> uh, no, I was um, you know, I was semi nervous that this might actually get some traction, and would have been a pretty exciting story actually to have Chad's fucking lawyers call me or something and <laughs> yeah, give me a yeah, desist notice. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was it? Was it Avril Lavigne on your ass? But next next week. <laughs> A bit of um, Skater Boy, maybe. We'll see. We'll, 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 I'll, I'll, try, I'll try and find some season two music that I can find something to mock about. Um, all right, man. So introduce us, dear sir. Full name, date of birth, how old you are, that sort of shit. Yeah, mate. Uh, Colin Ross, mate. I, um, I'm 36. Um, born in January. I was born in northern beaches of Sydney, so probably about 15, 20 minutes from Manly. Um. Yeah, I brought up with a sibling of five, so I got three older sisters and uh, older brother. So I was the youngest. Um. Yeah, a bit sort of two split into two sort of families. I got three older sisters who are in their close to fifties. As one of them's going to kill me because I know one of them is fifty, but I think about forty eight, forty nine. Um. And my brother, who's eighteen months older than me, so about thirty eight. And so, um, so your big sisters, you know, yes. mid forties. We should clarify just before either of us get shot. Yeah, yeah, mid forties. Yeah, <laughs> just just turned forty. <laughs> and um, yeah, had a had a a really good upbringing or average suburban household where you know my sisters were all moved out by the time I could remember. Um, and moved back in and moved back out. So it was really just me and my brother and my mum and dad. And um, yeah, my sisters went around the world or um, back of Western Sydney and, and didn't see a lot of them. So yeah, it was just the four of us and um, did most things, got educated and wasn't the smartest kid. And then in 2004, to put a long story short, 2004 moved to Perth um, due to reasons we'll probably talk about later. But yeah. Um, Take us, um, take us through your schooling that you mentioned, Cole. Where, where was where was primary? Where was secondary? What was your focus? Uh, right next door to each other, funny enough. So primary was called Mimosa, Mimosa Primary. That was in Davidson. 
Um, so there's sort of a small area called Fretches Forest, which probably people would know more about. Uh, but Belrose Fretches Forest Davidson was beautiful community, um, you know, foresty, just 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 a lovely lovely community. And um, yeah, went to most of primary school, and right next door to that's Davidson High School. So it was all very close. Um, you know, you have those long-term friends that you build from kindy to or play group to year 12. Um, yeah, it wasn't the smartest of kids. I probably, you know, that report card that is just repetitive. I reckon I had the same copy-paste uh, report card for about eight years. If he put his mind to it or, uh, you know what I'm you know, talking about. Yeah, no, I, I do. Uh, I was going through my shit from... Um, <laughs> From Nagel over here, uh, we recently, me and my sister, or yeah, me and my sister went through some of Dad's estate stuff that we just hadn't done anything with and was looking through my school cards and I, my, my delusions of grandeur, I guess, thinking about how smart I was were well and truly shot down because it was just a plug and play <laughs> repeat every, every time of that exact same nature. Like my grades were, were, were still reasonably good, but every time it was like, if this guy shut the fuck up and, and did some work, he'd probably go pretty well. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I was... Yeah, my C grade, C grade, C grade, maybe a B and a D, but average of C's all the way through. But the extracurriculum stuff for me was, and I don't mean what I got into later life, but um, doing some leadership. I was always always a leader at high school. It was um, when forms uh, or packs started to form, I should say, that's when I couldn't find my place. I And I had to create a role for myself. Um, where you got the, you know, I don't know, the stereotypes, the 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 emos, the the nerds, the the cool kids, the populars. Um, I, I really didn't like that. It's something that just didn't sit right with me, and I didn't actually have a pack to go to. So, I created a role for myself of being the leader of all packs, being the accepted one. I, and I don't know how I did it. I don't. I, don't, I know it sounds a bit of cocky, but um, yeah, people sort of came to me and talk to me and I would always listen and um, uh, yeah, but I was, I guess it was probably a couple of years there that I was the bully, um, which I hated. I, I don't know why, uh, but then came around and probably you've used that word in your couple of your podcasts, bit of karma, you know, it's probably the bit of karma that I, I needed to come back and go, well, um, no, this, this change is, it's not me. It's my insecurities that are, it's, it's either, you know, it's, my self-esteem issues that on the interior, the extrovert, uh, on the exterior, it's going to be different. And uh, so that was, yeah, high school became vice captain. And um, whether that was a popular vote or what happened, it was really cool. And um, I was part of the Australian Young Leaders. So it was that extracurriculum stuff that was really cool for me and doing stage crew and stuff for Rocker Steadfords. It might sound stupid, but... Um, and I was really into musical theatre. So I did probably about 15 shows in four years um, in a really cool local theatre company, not at school. It was a youth theatre company and it was also a forest youth theatre company. Shout out. Um, and <laughs> um, Willoughby Musical Society. And being in Sydney, that was such a great um, source for me to well, stay off the streets and keep me out of trouble. And um, I loved it. I loved performing. Um, loved it. So, yeah, um, then straight into work, mate. Yeah, yeah, there was no, there was no gap year. There was no uni for me. It was, uh, uh, yeah, because 
I had a pretty serious girlfriend during high school and, and there was some stuff with the family or my parents sort of midway through high school that I moved out of home um, probably about 15, 16 and moved in with my girlfriend just in, in her little self-contained unit underneath her house and it's probably a great thing for me but um, it sort of let my dad go. He wanted to move away and he was sort of felt like I was burdening his his life and moving on so he could move up north with his new new partner. Um, and then we broke up uh, probably just a few few weeks after graduation. We broke up, so I sort of didn't know what to do and just, um, yeah, so, but I had to work, I had to pay rent. I had to, so schoolies and all that went down the shitter and I went straight into, well, I had two jobs during high school, so I just kept working on those, you know. Um, that, and that was it for me. It was work ethic, work, work, work. And I reckon, you know, doing some thinking uh, recently, I've just said that, you know, when you say attributes, I think that that was a major one for me because, um, you know, I, I, work has always come first until recently, as you know. But, yeah, work work has always been, oh, I was a fear of failure, mate, really fear of failure. So as you kind of alluded to there, and we'll obviously get into a bit deeper later, you obviously had to, grow up fairly quickly due to various various things. But um, you and I also know each other through, you know, sport and and the likes, along with, with you being, I guess, family of, of friends and, and, you know, growing to basically be families. But when when did that start for you? Were you quite sporty also during yeah. high school? Yeah. Um, so soccer growing up, it was soccer and cricket, so... Dad used to, I don't know how soccer, to be fair, my memory's sort of a little bit blank, but um, yeah, played soccer all the way from my under, under nines and, and all the way through. Wasn't very good. I was sort of the fat, chubby kid that used to just boot the ball up the field because that was cool. Um, so the skills weren't great. I think I gave that up. Uh, yeah, high school wasn't didn't last too long. And then I picked it back up. There was a team of misfits really it was just a team of mates that um we called the 18 twos um and we just put formed a team together and there's some good players shit players and our our trainings were terrible and um we ended up winning the premiership and it was just one of the best days of my life it was it was fantastic funny enough never spoke to the guys again but um at least the day was good could you consolidate on that uh, yeah yeah and uh cricket yeah cricket for me was um became fairly fairly good i guess we i played representative cricket um and there's a there's a shield in in new south wales it's called green shield so it's sort of close to like that representative under new south wales or the sort of the, the manly so that was geez, 14 15 and it got to the point where i could it was sort of the crossroads um and my crossroads were earning money I had to I had to earn money so I didn't have the time to put the effort in to make it to the to the next level and the ability I still I, you know people say oh yeah but yeah that's those there's that self-esteem uh Braden that always always in the back of your game oh you probably would never have made it anyway so I gave it up I gave it up until yeah it moved to Perth but um it was a situation where it was one of the fathers um were practicing it was a rep game and you, know, you line up it was on the opening batsman so i was lining up again next to the other opener and 
guy was throwing balls at me and he threw one and I just middled it and next to me the guy throwing the ball to the guy next to me was the captain and smacked him in the chest and nearly killed him. And that didn't go down too well. He went to hospital and his dad got me by the throat and said he nearly killed my son. So that wasn't a wasn't wasn't a great start to the to the district. Um, yeah, kill the captain, try to get your try to get your spot. So um, yeah, lost the game. I got the blame and I just yeah, I was a bit over it by that point. So when uh, did golf start uh, for you? Oh yeah, um, golf probably. Yeah, probably about when I started working. Uh, there was a guy I worked with that enjoyed golf and. Even growing in high school, I had a set of clubs and it was just a shitty set of clubs. And um, being hand-eye coordinated was never any good. Still, not any good. But um, yeah, probably about 14, 13, 14, had a couple of mates that would go during school holidays and, and just either catch the bus or, or um, get a lift to the local, local um, whatever course would have us and pack it around there. And yeah, loved it. Loved it. It was, and, and still to this day, would probably, that's, um, you know, as you know, probably a member at the Vines over in Perth and play, try and get it out once a week. And it's my six hours of, um, I would say anger and frustration, but um, <laughs> um, just to clear my head, yeah, it, not to anything against family and friends and everything at work, but you need to let that go a little bit and clear the mind. So that's my way of doing that. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that's that's sport. Um, oh, it's cricket. Obviously, I picked up again. Six degrees, I think, uh, where I got the job at the Vines and met a, a guy from Sydney, and ended up being one of my good friends, uh, Bumbles. And he said, I'll come down and play cricket for Lower Chittering, as you would know the place well. And, um, yeah, played a couple of seasons down there. It was crap, absolutely crap. But I loved the, that um, team morale again, you know, after probably 10 years of being very lonely, living a hospitality life, uh, as you're probably aware, is very shallow. Um, yeah, it was good to meet people that, actually liked me and um so yeah it was nice friday nights training and and play sundays even if you did have to drive five hours to play a game a game of cricket and five hours home and funny enough met my met my now wife um and from there started started a club because we we thought um a gentleman named rob rob gray he was the um wanted to didn't see much of a future at lower because of the juniors and it was in a pocket of space in, in down in the community there that was not a lot of juniors. So pull it back up to Bullsbrook um, and try and keep it, keep it afloat. So we had a meeting and some of us agreed, some of us didn't. So the guys that didn't went back to lower, that's fine. Kept that going. It was majorly successful in their comp and we, we moved over to the Saturday comp and it was uh, Megan, myself, Rob and, and probably Rowan that, that just were the, Started it and then it just grew from there. You came on board, probably I think it was the second year, and um, family was created. And still to this day, um, this is why I was hungover last week because we had our presentation last Saturday night and um, handed the reins over, which was a sad day. But um, you know, won the premiership for the first premiership, and it's that's my family. The cricket club is a major, major part, but. Um, 
and hopefully who I've you know handed over to a lovely guy and he, he loves his cricket, a bit of a cricket tragic, so he can he can take it to the next level and and hopefully it survives. As you know, Bullsbrook's a bit of a tough place to run a sporting club, um, just because it's just a, a very small community and um, not a lot of young fellas that want to sit in the field for six hours on a Saturday and do nothing. But yeah, sports a major part, major part of my life now, and friends, family. It's all starts from there. Yeah, so I guess the only thing we haven't fully covered off of, of my normal setup sort of intro, mate. Your your current um, relationship status, as as you mentioned, you've got a, a gorgeous wife um, who's also a dear friend of of mine and my other half, and uh, and now three little ones. Yeah, uh, Megan. Megan's my wife. She's birthday tomorrow. She's turning thirty four. <laughs> um, <laughs> If you spoil her enough tomorrow, mate, this doesn't go up until Monday, so you, you'll get away with <laughs> oh, it. Oh, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> um, 29, yeah, said. She's, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, we met down at the cricket club, um, at Lower Chittering Cricket Club, and we were friends for probably close to eight months, um, but always in the uh, always in the mind that we are going to get there, because, um, get in a relationship with each other, but we were... I played hard to get, I guess, because I was just in a space where I didn't want to let anyone in. She had two stepkids, um, Riley and Logan. Riley's now 12, going on 20, and Logan's 10. And, um, yeah, so they were very young. We met in 2000 and shit, go on, shit, go on, shit, go on. <laughs> we started dating in 2000. 12 so met probably yeah 2011 so they were quite young when I first met them so it was a scary scary thing taking on two stepkids and uh, more recently um, got married in 2017 and that's right isn't it you came over I think it was 17 I think so no I'm gonna it's gonna be what is it now 20 oh I'm gonna I've, I've fucked up there I guarantee you <laughs> um, Megan, don't take it to heart too much because he also forgot that I was the initial vice president and designed the club logo. So you, you, you're not the only oh, one missing damn. out. damn. <laughs> uh, preparation, hey? <laughs> Poor performance. Love Poor you. performance. <laughs> I'm sorry, my brother. Um, yeah, and, and had our beautiful baby girl. So uh, in June last year, um, Casey. Um, so yeah, she's just over one and we've got our family very very cute and she's absolutely scrumptious um mm. looks a lot a hell of a lot like like a brother so that panned out very nicely um it's probably all of the setting up stuff mate we might take a break and and uh crack on with what you were trying to sneak into our intro anyway good man cheers and now a word from our sponsor. Nah, just fucking with you guys. We're never going to monetize this. This is your resource. And blokes, this round's on me. As we move into the next section of this conversation, we're going to be asking some pretty real questions. We're going to take things a level deeper. It'll be raw, but hopefully we'll come up with some tips and techniques that might help some fellas out there get through a bit. 
If what we discuss today raises some emotions for you, either from something you've got through in the past or something you're currently dealing with, discuss it with someone in your life you trust. If someone isn't immediately available or if you're quite anxious about the feelings that you uncover, call Lifeline Australia. They're available 24-7, they care and they're very professional. 13 11 14. Alternately, have the chat with your GP. Discuss going on a mental health plan if you're having a rough time. There's no shame in it. Get a little bit of counselling. Get yourself travelling in the right direction. If the voice in our head gets a little bit negative, it doesn't magically get better. We need to introduce a professional. Someone who has a bit of rationality. Someone who has a bit of positivity. Somebody who can help us not just survive, but thrive. We need you, fellas, and we want to see the best of you. Just quietly, what the fuck was I thinking putting thrive in the end of that when I've got a terrible list? But <laughs> <laughs> reassess. Yeah, just wipe the screen. <laughs> oh, fuck. Anyway. <laughs> dear me, dear me. Actually, those um, that regularly listen and maybe yourself, Colin, after this, uh, let me know. Um, what my own audio quality is is like because um the better half kicked me out of the the common area I guess and I've set up a a bedroom that's hopefully a little bit acoustically better um so mm. hopefully on top of my list but I don't have as much echo 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 to it so we'll see we'll see yeah, it sound like you're in your gym or something but uh, mate it was all good all mm-hmm. good yeah thanks love man. the curtains <laughs> yeah they're, they're a bit plush um all right, man. Uh, so, crack on with the rest. I don't need to give you any warning because you're a top macker and listen to the other stuff. Um, makes me think I should put a certain mate of ours we were talking about earlier on the spot. Definitely. For this one as well. Definitely. And maybe a Mr. R. Gray would be a laugh. I might. I, I might... think there'll be a few lads, mate. That's uh, hmm. Maybe I'm just the, the stepping stone to open up um, yeah. some conversations on... Oh, you've had a few guys from Perth, but yeah, a few, few guys in the group I think would be great. Yeah, R. Yeah. Gray would be definitely i yeah. I'll shoot Jay Gray an email and see if he's allowed and we can go from there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah smart, mate. Very smart. <laughs> oh, fuck. I can't wait till he hears that. Um, all right. Yeah. So, fuck. I'll stop laughing now so we can get him with some serious shit. What do you think is the hardest thing you've ever had to go through, mate? And I know you've been through a bit, particularly through your teenage years, but... What would you identify as the most challenging of them? It's hard to narrow it down to one, and that's not saying. Um, I try to think of what has had the most effect on my life. You know, my parents splitting up. I guess from the outside, and I, I, my siblings would say it affected me more than what I think it did. Um, we had a uh, also had a mutual friend that that, that took his own life a while ago um that that hit home um but i'd say that the probably the stepping oh, i keep using those words not the right phrase but i'd say that the the hardest part of my life was the drugs and the drugs going back in sydney and because that changed my life completely um it it, it dropped a lot of friends i i lost uh a girl uh at a very young age with heroin overdose and and the, it was a went into dealing and 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 and, and so on and um, 
yeah, so that changed my life completely in the direction it went. Um, so I'd say that the hardest thing was accepting, and that was a that was probably a twenty year or, or fifteen to twenty year uh, cycle from start to finish, and it was just a a quick yes or like a peer pressure thing, I, I guess, or an acceptance thing, and and so. Yeah, and then probably modern day, modern day hard thing is 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 now, um, which I, I I do want to do because it's probably a couple of a couple of guys had said that, but being a stepdad was one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with, and that's I know that sounds really arrogant or or, or, or strange, um, but it's not not easy, and and it's it's something that I've had to really really work hard on with my wife Megan. Um, to, to work out the, uh, a happy medium of how I discipline and, and how much she lets me in. And, and that took, well, it still is, it's a work in progress. But uh, yeah, so that's probably the modern day um, uh, tough thing and, and ongoing. Uh, I guess, but yeah, drugs would be yeah up there. I'm, I'm probably robbing you a little bit, but we can certainly talk about both. But um it's probably something I haven't steered conversations towards enough, um, being that I don't have kids, so it's, it's not my natural intuition to realise how valuable that information might be to people. But obviously in Australia, you sort of, um, you, you moulded families is, is um, such a, a common thing, a challenging thing, and, and um, potentially as, as you're showing such an incredibly positive thing. So um, take us through for... Uh, young fathers or people potentially entering into a mixed family or people that don't even have kids, why that was such a challenging phase of your life? Because I I wasn't a father at all. So I was, I won't take it as you, I was thrown in the deep end um, because they were, I had Logan who was a toddler and, and Riley who was three going on four. Um and so they were still very, very young and very influenced by their own father and he was part of their life. And um, so it's juggling my moral compass, my wife's um, uh, sort of where she, how I discipline and, and, and things like that. So I can only discipline or father the way I was fathered, I guess, is the only tutorial I, I got or, the, or how my mentors father all the people around me um and then i've also got uh, a step uh, their biological father who i've got to think of because i'd never want to take his his job off him either um so it's just juggling on all those three things but also building your relationship at the same time when the, they're probably at the very influential age um when i first met them and that's grown i mean we still have tough times about it's father it's fathering um but um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I do things any uh, any better than than anyone else. But I guess you've just got to find your own relationship with with your stepkids, um, whether that's on par with with their biological parents. But um, definitely find your own relationships and core values. Stick to your core values. Stick to your core ethos and and, and morals. And I don't think you can you can go wrong. It's just that. You've got to be on the same page with your with your partner to make sure that you know 
they can trust you with their own kids, which is, you know, Megan was great. She, she sort of went, there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was a couple of, couple of times where I might've overstepped the mark, but we learn and, 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 and do that and spanking the kids or, or things like that. It's all yeah, a learning curve and you still learn. One's nearly a teenager or said to you before, he's 12 going on 20 and is yeah at a tough age now really tough age um, first year of high school uh, we'll see how we go it's been a challenging couple of months but um i had a good chat with a friend last night i just said that um i've got to think i think it's on me i've got to be more patient i've got to be instead of doing the yelling and coming home stressed from work after 10 hour working uh, 10 hours 10 hours of work and just scream and shout and go, I'll oh, do your homework, do this, do this. I think I've got to be a bit more patient and let them make the choices and 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 not just be that mould of a angry dad um, that works too hard and because it doesn't really matter to them if I work, I've just got to be there, don't I? So, yeah, I think your core values, mate, stick to your core values and, and you'll pick up things on the way. I heard a really um, brilliant... I don't know what you describe it. Maybe a, a counselling toolkit or or something recently, but a method of thinking with regards to those sort of circumstances and and you know particularly those circumstances where, you, like you say, you don't really get a crash course on it on anything. You're just kind of basing it off stuff you've drawn from here, there, and and everywhere. And and what they said was entirely matched with what what you just said. That if you're completely lost in a situation per se, that you create the you you aspire to um whether it's on paper or just going through it in your own head you know create those core values like you said and then apply an action to the challenge at hand that's in line with those core actions and and try and live that out and i think you know often enough um that's that's really all we have access to but it's also probably you know an entirely practical way to go about things and you can be at least proud of the way you approached it, regardless of the outcome, I guess. God, true, mate. And, and accept the mistakes on the way. Well, you know, people fuck up. It's probably a hard one to, to ask because, as, as you're probably aware, normally try and get some tips off the guys as to what did and didn't help um, in dealing with these challenging times. But I guess the first is advice. So um, that would obviously be... Uh, you know, sort of in itself, what didn't help. Um, but any anything in particular, I suppose you've, you've mentioned there, trying to trying to sit back and establish what's in line with your values, having good communications with other people that have might gone through similar things. Is is there anything else that sort of helped, um, particularly with the the becoming a step bad bad one? Yeah, I think um, what not to do, and I think we made this couple mistake a few times, and 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 always learning uh, that. We, me and my wife would always sort of question each other in front of the kids. There was a couple of times there and it just never, never helped anything. It's sort of um, – so we try and uh, keep that separate from, from the kids if there's any questions and she can let me make a mistake and then – or if there's something she needs to question later on, she'll do it later on instead of undermining me in front of the kids or and vice versa. So it's definitely something we, we needed to work on. Um, and yeah, how to deal with it? I guess be patient. Be really, really, really patient. I know it's a cliche, but be patient. Listen to what what the, the the parent 
I don't want to say parent, but the biological parent, uh, and and have that those discussions pretty early. Going, um, how are we going to discipline? Be on the same page. These are our these are our family morals. These are our family goals, and and this is what we how we want to achieve them. And also have that relationship with the the this well in my case the 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 real dad or you know the biological dad and go okay well you got to trust me build that trust build that relationship and you're you're a core group that works together for the 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 goal of um providing and loving and and and, and educating and doing the best thing as you can to the, for the future of the kids and um the communication uh, i think that's that's, that's major major just going okay well these are my these are my opinions take them or leave them and accept the fact that the decision at the end of the day isn't always yours it's it's funny what i've always been um well one of the many things i've been impressed about the, the both of you in that position um is how i guess mature from what i can see you've you've both both approached that like it's very much been your boys and their healthy development and, and, and whatnot first, not just with you coming into into that family, but with you then as a fortified couple interacting with uh, the boy's biological dad, like you said, like you don't see a lot of people, um, you know, kind of take the mentality of, well, if the boys win, then we all win sort of thing in terms of if we give them the best chance to be raised fairly level and, and feel loved by now yeah. three of us, then realistically we've all won. Um, you know, ra- rather than the little game playing and, and nastiness that unfortunately you see a lot of people buy into in that circumstance. Yeah, and it's not a competition. Um, you find it, 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 it's all, it's not all roses, mate. I, I tell you, there's, there's, it has its times. Um, so he's, he's remarried and had a, had a, had a girl and she's three. So there's, what we're trying to do is, okay, we're not all a family. That would be a little bit weird, but, we want to have that connection still that you don't have two separate families that do two different completely things. But that's, I guess, our challenge now is that we just got to align our uh, discipline, align our um, sort of, yeah, I keep using the same words, but, you know, your morals and, and, and how you discipline the kids and what you're going to take off them, tablets and different stages of discipline and, so I guess that's where we just probably yeah need to come together again and just realign a little bit because it's probably been, been a little bit shaken now that you know the oldest ones in high school and puberty's starting to hit and girls are starting to become a on get on the on the agenda and influence external influences you know I remember in year seven what I was doing Christ and, and probably yeah. probably true to remembering what you or I were doing in year seven. It's also a bloody difficult part of life. So I suppose that's the other aspect of it is, is whilst you've probably you know, occasionally got a little smart ass or psychopath on, on your hands, you've also got, <laughs> got a young man that's, you know, entering into a fucking extremely confusing and, and challenging part of his own life. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to sit back and think like that. And, and that's that patience part where I, I probably don't, it's, you know, having the, having Casey, it's, work 10 hours, come home, routine, routine, routine. And, and, and sometimes they're not, not an afterthought. That sounds really mean, but I guess you just, they do their thing, homework, dinner, bed. Um, so, yeah, we've got to find time 
for each kid to make sure that they're loved and, and, and have that time. And I think if they they might be messing up for attention because they're not getting that attention or somewhat. So there's all these other things. And I'm no psych, I'm no teacher. And it's great having uh, Megan's mum, who's a principal at a school, who deals with these things on a, on a daily basis. So we always pick her brain and, um, you know, we don't like to take external advice or judgment too, too often, but um, definitely the people that we respect. Makes sense, mate. Makes sense, and and like you, like you said, that they don't necessarily come come second. But I think in the broader scale of things, as as blokes, we can tend to put ourselves in second place a little bit. So that you know, bloke on bloke time, so to speak, with with young men now that they're got their own things, it's it's kind of easy to take take that for granted when you when your schedule's so otherwise loaded. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's me. Uh, I'm the adult. I've got to I've got to take the take the bull by the horns there and and go. Okay, I've got to lead this the way I want to lead it, and 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 give them the time. If I don't give them the time, then there's no excuse for for what he does because I haven't been there to support him. You know, um, I guess the next step is that you know I know that uh, the peer pressure comes in and and how I'm going to play that. You know, I'm a different. Uh, upbringing than his his father and um i haven't lived a sheltered life i i made i i ran out of the out under the covers very young and dabbled in a lot of stuff and um it's gonna happen i'm realistic it's gonna happen at some point and i i just yeah need to work out how i'm gonna deal with that because there's so many avenues you can because i think you can lose kids very quickly and I got lost. I was lost for yeah, you know, fifteen years. Understand, man. Understand. Well, might even stay on stay on that and it might lead into us um talking a bit more about your your teen troubles. It it might not, but um might get all of the, the challenges out of the way and then just move through the good stuff if you if you're happy with that. So um, Mate, yeah. Obviously, well, you've, you've identified something there that's one of the most challenging things that's that's life's kind of brought to your your doorstep. But what do you think's kind of the time when you've most let yourself down? What what are you, you the the least proud of, or when did you put yourself in the shit the most? Oh well, yeah, it's probably the last comment you made. Is putting myself in the shit. Um, yeah, I was, as I said, I, I grew. With a group of mates, we we grew some grew some weed and started dealing dealing weed um, back in the day, um, and so we did that. We also um, got in contracts with with um, some gangs to to sell um, drugs for for them on well, what they used to call tick. It's probably the old school thing, but on credit, I guess, and. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't meet that. I couldn't meet the the payments, so um, sort of pushed me down a a, a a path where I had to find money somewhere or run away. And I did a bit of column A and definitely did the column B and ended up in Perth. Um, so yeah, it was it was probably um, it's a stupid thing of. of Getting into dealings with the, the wrong people who I thought actually at the time were no issue at all because I was just one of them. So, um, 
and you look back on it after 15 years and go, I've got enough of the show for that. Apart from the education and not what not to do. Um, yeah, it was that and yeah, um, wasting a lot of money on the gambling and, and working hard because I was a functioning drug dealer, functioning gambler, functioning alcoholic, functioning stoner, functioning uh, meth, name it, ecstasy, the whole thing. It was all, but work came first. Work, it never affected my work. It never affected bringing money in because the biggest fear for me was being homeless and on the streets. I'd, I'd lost sleep over that. And I still to this day, and you'll probably find it funny that, you know, you've seen what I have and, and my work, but still to this day, I, I, yeah, I, I, I fear, fear being with nothing. And, um, well, I don't know where that comes from. I, I honestly don't. Maybe you could give me some advice on that. But, um, yeah, because one, you see it, one little click and one turn can change somebody's life and you can end up with nothing. And um, when you have no one, you you have no one. I pushed family away. I, I moved to the other side of the country. I didn't speak to my brother or um, for many, many, many years. Um, and... The, the relationship with my mum deteriorated pretty quickly um, during this period. Um, I moved in with her after uh, my girlfriend, as I said, broke up with me in year 12. So funny enough, my mum moved back into, into the neighbourhood just randomly and I hadn't had a great relationship with her for five, six years before that when she moved out of the family home and within two weeks of moving back, uh, I had moved in and my brother had moved back in because of circumstances in his life. So, um, and I thank my mum for, she didn't have to do that. I, I didn't have to do that. And you know how I, I thanked her? Smoked and sell drugs out of her house. And sorry, I lie. I didn't sell drugs out of her house, but I was definitely holding drugs in that house. And yeah, it, it upsets me to this day going, what what a mug, what a mug, what a son. And I'd, it was probably only till probably six, oh, no, not six, probably about yeah, last few years, probably 30s, um, 33 or something like that. I realised that, um, yeah, I've got to, I've got to make up for that time because the relationship is, is, is now very... Um, uh, the conversations are just very short and, and, you know, there's love there. There's definitely love there, uh, but it's awkward because there's that so many years that I don't know my mum. I don't, you know, she's, as I said, my three sisters are in their 50s, mid-40s, and um, uh, and she's probably close to 80. So I don't have a lot of time. Um, and I think that's it's, 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 it's a, a hate that I, I disrespected my mum that much to, to, to sell drugs at that time when she took me in and then decided one day it all got too much and I booked a flight to Perth and told her the day I was leaving and left. And she was shattered. She was shattered. And we speak, we spoke for probably once a year after that, once or twice a year, you know, the Christmas call and the, the birthday call. And it was, yeah, how are you going? Good, cool. Yeah, sweet. See you later. And what sort of relationship's that? So, and that was like that for my whole family for probably 
from 2004, even when I was in Sydney, but definitely in Perth. And yeah, just snippets, snippets of people's lives. And yeah, though that, that drug thing took me down a path that lost my friends where, yeah, as I said, I had all these core friends growing up from kindergarten to year 12 or year, year, year 10 or 11. And I went down another path and they left me behind as I thought, but it was me. It was me that made that decision. And never all those memories, all those, and I see them on Facebook and all that for, you know, um, all getting together, reunion, I never got invited to. Um, that stuff sort of hurts. It sort of hurts because it's a big part of your life that you go, you know, where are these people? Um, and because I don't, you know, I got off Facebook for certain reasons. I don't really, you know, I don't want to stalk people just to be sad. <laughs> um, so I had to, I was very lonely. And then hospitality came over here with hospitality and still smoked. I, I came over here and I wasn't clean, but I, I didn't deal because I didn't know anyone, but I, I smoked weed and, 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 and took pills and things like that, which was more recreational than anything else. And, um, didn't learn. I just moved, just moved. I thought it was going to change my life, but it moved. I, I just moved and it was probably still worked, still worked two jobs, still was functioning. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until I was working night, uh, night uh, manager at the Vines Golf Club and the guy was building a house. I said, how the hell are you building a house on your wage? And he's on the same as me. I think, okay, well, he showed me how he did it. And to be fair, it was probably that night I got online and put my application into Keystart, which is a government scheme that they own 20% of the house and I own 80% of the house. And they, it was the time where you got 20 grand and all that. And I built my house and still working hard, smoking weed, taking pills, building my own house. That was sort of one of those strange things where I was completely functioning. I was a manager I and I did my job clear-headed, but I played hard. I worked hard, but played harder. Um, but I had no friends. I had no friends. I had plenty of acquaintances, and from the ex, ex outside, um, I was going, oh, mate, he's popular. He's, he's all this. He'll be, he's the, the, the talk of the group, and he knows how to run a... a, a control a room and yeah that's all fine but it wasn't me get home and cry yourself to sleep because you don't want to do the same thing over and over again as you're taken into a fucking bong that was a strange thing man i'd have billies and then cry about it it's fucking strange <laughs> very strange um so i built a house and started met megan and suddenly decided that or she she put it on me said if, if the boys want to move in here i've got to give up the weed so i just did it cold turkey and um yeah all that stuff sort of just stopped because i felt like i had responsibilities and family and love and i wasn't alone anymore so she was the catalyst and i probably haven't probably spoken to her about it but yeah she was the catalyst for me feeling love again and, and not alone. So, yeah, sorry, mate. A bit, a bit sad. So I'll, I'll 
juice it up a bit. <laughs> it's, what, it's what we're here for, mate. Well, what interests me about it, I don't know that I have an answer. Maybe, maybe you have an answer. Um, for me, you know, from early on in your adulthood, you had most of the skill set that's let you really, you know, really explode your life in the last, what, six or seven years, I guess. You know, s- suddenly you've worked your ass off and, and you're the deserving um GM at, at your employer now. Um, you've got a, a great relationship. You've got, you know, a beautiful, comfortable house for your family. Um, and your kids are happy and healthy. Um, it I kind of confuses me to an extent as to how, whilst you were dealing with all those vices, you were already a bit of a workaholic and had the skills that have later, um, you know, really, really helped you. Um, I guess how how it was that those two things coexisted and and kind of why it is that you feel um, the the panic slash regret you do about that period of your life in terms of that you you feel like you I'm guessing should should be financially where you are now earlier or something like that if if I'm interpreting it right. Uh, somewhat. I'll go back to the fear. I was fear of failure. I, I I never had self-esteem growing up and it was always questioning myself. And even now, I, um, uh, my boss and I are very similar where we self-persecute every decision. There's this self-persecution, and um, which I'm, I work on on daily daily basis. But, yeah, it was fear of failure and I wanted to work my ass off because I didn't want to fail. I didn't know. I wasn't trying to prove it to anyone but myself. Um, yeah, and the second part of the question, I, I don't really, I don't really know. Um, I just, if I didn't put my head into work, it would have been into something else that wasn't productive. Um, very addictive personality, very influenced by people because I needed to be accepted and, and, um, uh, because I was so lonely, I, I needed to just have that, um, well, as I said, acceptance or some sort of attention. Um, and this is fucking a mid-20s person that <laughs> sounds like a 12-year-old as I'm talking about um, talking about Riley. And to be fair, I've never never had these talks, mate, so the sort of saying that the things you think about. Um, but, yeah, fear of fear of failure was, was major. And still to this day, Megan and I talk and... She goes, you, you just can't accept the fact that you've done something good. You can't. You're always so hard on yourself. And I flog it off. I just go, oh, yeah, you know, it's just me, but it's probably not healthy. You need to do sit back and smell the roses occasionally and go, okay, this is what you do. This is what you have. And it's until uh, recently I probably haven't done it properly. I could say I have it, but I'd probably sit down and go, okay, I've, I've achieved something. Makes it easier when you've got a beautiful girl when you come home and she's smiling at you and, and, and um, says everything's all right, Dad, in her own way. That's probably going, okay, I've done it right there. Makes a, makes a lot of sense to me, mate. And, and obviously, you know, different vices and different measures, but I, I feel like the way we interacted with our 20s was, was very similar and... and I was certainly the same in terms of, um, you know, uh, being obsessed by whatever it was that I was, I was doing at the time and 
um, and needing that acceptance, I guess, or sense of identity that come come with that ownership of, in theory, being reasonably good at that, even if I was train wrecking the rest of my life. Um, it's kind of all all uh, downhill and, and smiles and roses from here, bro. So I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> Just talk about how <laughs> perfect, man. <laughs> perfect. Self depreciating you are. We'll we'll try and have some enthusiasm, mate. Um, so what would you say is the best moment of your life then? Uh, I, I, I'm probably going to have your stock answer here, mate, because uh, with a lot of the guys that have had been in uh, my position or have interviewed, have mentioned the kids, and it's standard. It's a standard answer for me. Um, changes your life. I mean, it was the happiest moment of my life. It's you know, um, seeing Casey born was just an instant, uh, instant. Uh, sense of achievement, sense of love. Um, and I probably have never felt closer to Megan on the opposite side of a room <laughs> um, ever. And it was, yeah, it was probably then turned probably, as I said, probably the hardest part. Um, I know you don't want to go on a downer, but I think it's, you know, I've talked to you apart from the hardest thing about fathering is probably losing your identity. And that's where me and Megan need to work hard is going, you know, you're not Colin and Megan anymore. You're mum and dad. And you need to find that time for Megan and Colin. And that's not neglecting the kids. It's making sure that you, your relationship, you work on your relationship as well as being a mum and dad because if the relationship isn't there, your mum and dad skills aren't there either. And that's what we're that's, – that's, that's, that's a work in progress for sure, um, for sure. But, yeah, the best day was, was – the best part of my life is, yeah, being, being a father. Love the boys. Love the boys. But being – having Casey was something else, something else. Knowing I could do that. I could do that after all the years of drug use, all the years of, again, fear of failure, self-persecution. How could I do this? How can, you know – the amount of emotions you're sitting there on that couch in the in the delivery room and going holding your baby girl, um, going, okay, well, strap yourself in. You you're living for someone else now, and your your decisions and everything changes. And yeah, so hardest but most enjoyable and most um, yeah, definitely the happiest part of my life for sure. Beautiful man. So, I guess that's a, the next challenge at hand is like like you said, how, how you manage to be Colin, Space, and Megan, and how you manage to be Colin and Megan, and then how you manage to be Mum and Dad as as well. It was interesting, interesting juggle, uh, I guess at hand, particularly when you're both so busy as well. Yeah, well, uh, uh, what I didn't mention before is Megan's. Yeah, Megan went straight back to work. Um, you know, during COVID, she she worked at home. But I say as if it's over. Sorry, mate. We live in Perth. It's it's a little bit different than your situation. But um, uh, yeah, during the the peak time in COVID, she was working from home, so it sort of helped. But um, straight back into work, career orientated, and and I said to Megan, "Do what you want to do. If you want to be a wife, uh, a, sorry, a housewife and a mother from home, do that." But um, yeah, we sort of set up our lives financially that she needed to work. So it was sort of those things that we'd, you know, we need to make sure that we had, you know, three hours of an evening that we 
uh, mum and dad, and then we also need to have a half hour to an hour a night, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that it's 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 Colin and Megan. Beautiful, mate. I'm I'm sure you guys will uh, will find a way, and and thank you for the fucking Victorian jab there. That was that was great. <laughs> just, just just before um, we jumped on the on the call, I was actually checking my Facebook and um and Big Dan that interviewed a, a handful of weeks ago yeah, from, yeah, from, yeah. from over your way. Um, his uh, I've got his dad because he, he used to be my boss on on Facey, and he he's basically like you know angry dad but a foot taller so it was um he's, he's, a, he's a school teacher as well so it was it was taking a selfie video strutting up the beach at scarborough saying how nice it was to be on holidays and then saying how what an we, asshole <laughs> and then saying how we need to keep these fucking victorians out <laughs> it's like fuck off uh what is it i don't see i'll probably be about a month behind but because uh, i don't have facebook or i get i get late news um i think it was a a meme of the zombie apocalypse and it was from the walking dead walking or something dead, yeah, yeah. coming out of victoria it. i've seen, it. I've seen some, <laughs> some fantastic ones of that or the the simpsons car with everyone uh in the car angry at homer and homer's got victoria written oh, I've, yep, I've seen yeah. some, some always some great ones always refer back to the simpsons at some point yeah yeah for <laughs> sure i'm sure they predicted it as well as as they do with everything um you've obviously been you know uh, as you are every time we talk pretty blatantly honest about your shortcomings mate and and i know you just discussed not being good at this one but what's uh what's the proudest you've been of of you where have you most exceeded your expectations yeah cool nice chatting with you mate um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> comfort zone out oh, the window okay. proudest um yeah obviously being able to um Produce such a beautiful young girl, but uh, probably in in. I, I want to talk and I want to say it honestly. I don't want to just make it up and sound like sound like a dickhead. Um, but I think the decision to move to Perth and take myself out of the situation that I was in in Sydney um, was major, and that's because it had such a domino effect on my life and. Um, I can say I'm proud of where I am and 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 my work, um, but that to me is a growth thing. I, I I can't accept that because I still don't think I'm good enough to to do what I do and and all that. So, but I think the decision that was only mine to make was the right decision at the right time because I had to, or my life was forever going to be different or in it or not as good as it was which I wasn't going to know at the time, but yeah, just clicking that button, just going, I've got to go, got to go and take it and, and probably walk away from my relationship with my brother, walk away from the relationship or the, the, what I had with my mom and, and friends and family that I, that I didn't really have anyway, that just to piss off and start fresh. And yeah. So moving to a different state in at what 20 with nothing. Um, I was pretty proud of what I've now done. Twelve, uh, what two thousand four? So yeah, fifteen years later. It's funny, it mate. When later, I yeah. um, I very similar age when I moved over, and um, I think my mum maybe and my dad, but certainly I can just distinctly remember the conversation um with my mum uh 
telling me how proud she was that I, I was doing it. And at the time, you know, I I guess young and foolish didn't think anything of it. I think as you grow older, you appreciate what sort of a jump that is. I just felt that I, could, well, I was a bit sick of what I was doing in Melbourne and was to an extent running away from that and, and whatever. But, um, you know, l- looking back, it tends to be those big decisions you make, even if it's out of five seconds of courage or necessity, or even if someone else makes it for you to an extent, tend, tend to be some of the most defining moments of your life, I think. Mm. God, most definitely. And like I said before, it's just that, that you accept that what's happened and, and if that didn't happen, then this wouldn't happen. And the domino effect or what is it, a movie, the butterfly effect, if something changes, then what else changes? And, and um, so, yeah, there's no, there's no, no sort of issue with with my past life. I, I sort of accept that and go, okay, well, that's made me who I am today, and 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 the people I've met. So, so that's an interesting one you say there, Cole, because that, that that's where you know a big learning of of mine recently, even just this year, and I, I guess the last couple of years is realizing that different people think very differently, like processes, um, let alone what's kind of reaches the surface and and for me um looking from the outside at you i i, I guess the the approach i've taken to a similar ish circumstances is that I'm, i try and be i guess fairly empowered by or proud maybe of of um my my train wrecking history that i've managed to reach the surface so to speak and have some level of normality and and, and rebuild a life and I at least try and not regret um, let's say my 20s as as time wasted um, you know because I when I come out of them even when it was at my lowest I, I thought it would be fucking hard for anyone to fit more in those 10 years than I did like good or bad <laughs> I, I fucking I lived a hole in that in that 10 years of my life so um, uh, now that I guess I've got the benefit of being in a better situation. I try not to look at that with the regret of just how much money I wasted during that time or, you know, how far ahead I could be if I had matured earlier or whatever, whatever it may be. So um, I find it interesting that you're still sort of driven slash regretful slash panicked about that period where you, you feel like you stood still a bit, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, you sort of that lonely period you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I built a house. I, I and hospitality. I loved hospitality, and I don't want to use that as a as a as a um, catalyst. But you just do the day to day. I worked from in the city from eleven o'clock at night to seven o'clock in the morning, managing a five star hotel. Um, for eight months and it was work but it was relentless I didn't didn't socialize when I did it would be hardcore um, it was but there was no in-depth conversation there wasn't and that was that was for you know whether just you work nights you work till 12 you go out in the piss for till three four o'clock in the morning go get, get a home at sunrise and and sleep and do it all over again and there was just not a lot of time to go, okay, well, this is Colin. This is who I am. This is, you know, there was a couple of guys that, that uh, over that period, I'd give them credit, you know, the, the guys I live with and actually experienced um, 
who I was, but um, at the time I loved it. At the time I I loved it at the time, but then when I was, I guess, either coming down or had the time to reflect um, before doing it all over again, that was the, the, the most hurtful, lonely, lonely time because I had no family, all self-doing, but I just didn't pick up the phone and go, yeah, hey, mum, or hey, dad, or hey, hey, bro, um, let's just talk and, and, and see where it goes. And that's where maturity now is is that uh, similar, I guess, to what you're doing now. And, and you use the word karma, like, yeah, you, hopefully I can just by doing this say, um, you know, let's talk. It's all good. Let's let's just chat. I'm I've got two ears, one mouth for a reason. You know, I want to listen, man. And um, if it's one person, if it's none, I at least I've gotten something out of it. And 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 if someone wants to talk to me, I'm I want to be that person now. I want to be that listener and go. Cool, I got no advice, but you know what? I can at least listen and know that you got someone. I love it, man. I think a lot of people that maybe haven't been in hospitality or haven't been in serious volume hospitality don't understand is that, um, you know, when you're interacting, uh, over 15 seconds, 15 to 90 seconds, shall we say with thousands of people a week, you develop an insane understanding of humans, but you, you don't accrue humans in your life at all. So, you know, you've got crazy people skills, but you're, you're highly likely to be lonely because you're just not living a convenient roster to, to build meaningful relationships around you. Yeah, well said. This is why you're doing the podcast because you you say it a lot better than I do. But yeah, uh, and, and exactly that's right. that's something I thought of listening to you speak 15 minutes ago, which is another reason I'm doing I'm doing the podcast because you know I like I like to be certainly I like to be challenged and 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 to find out I'm wrong on things because that's a that's a brilliant opportunity to grow. But if nothing else, it helps me straighten out my experiences or thoughts against against other men and 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 you know I guess formulate. Uh, little little rules like that that might be true. I'm not sure. Um, so, man, you get to talk about not you for a moment. So, this will be a, a favorite topic of yours. So, who would you say is <laughs> is your hero or someone you admire the most? Oh, yeah, okay. Um, in preparation for this question, I, I found this is one of the harder ones because I, I don't think I I don't think I have a hero. Um, I, I call sporting guys cool. You know, you got your you got your cricketers, you got your gillies, yeah, and all those guys influenced my life and 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 that. But uh, I'm not going to use your word hero, so I'm sorry to change the the interview here. But I'm going to use mentors, and I had two main mentors that had changed my life. Um, what I find is I'm not the most articulate, educated person, and I've had to always surround myself and be a bit of a sponge to the people that mentor me and that was two guys, my last two, um, last two bosses that now become major parts of my life and my, my, my mentors. And, um, so those would be my heroes or have my mentors that have put me in a place now that, you know, my boss, my current boss, and you would hate to, if you ever heard this, but, um, you know, he's, uh, he was illiterate. Uh, he was hospitality background and, and was 
the gay man in the in the in the eighties that just drug fucked and and everything and didn't have it went to a boarding school in 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 um, middle Midland there or something and and just wasn't wasn't accepted being gay man and and doing all that and just to see where where he's come um, to owning multiple businesses to selling to to helping out the the hotels in the hotel industry then buying a cleaning company on the back of nothing just thinking it was a good idea <laughs> and you know what you know we're turning turning over millions of dollars and a, a respectful morally run company um that i'm very very happy to to be a part of and um, hopefully one day, you know, potentially the succession plan is is for me to 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 let him earn his retirement and hopefully early. And so there's those two those two guys definitely that um, have mentored me. And this is, I guess, where if I don't have my work or something there, then I've got nothing. And and those guys definitely definitely help me. So yeah, no heroes, but definitely those those mentors that I look up to for sure. Well, I'm not sure if. Um, that'd be a, a natural segue into, into where we normally go next. But, um, what would you say back in the uncomfort zone? What would you say is most admirable about you? Oh, fuck. Um, uh, <laughs> work ethic, I think. Yeah. Um, I know that's another cliche, you know, um, I'm not overly good looking, so that's not that's not a major attribute. But um, yeah, work ethic for me, loyalty and work ethic um, would be up there. Um, I find that I can always. Some people, a lot of people, would say my honesty and my bluntness. I guess if you're a friend of mine, would would say that. Um, it's up. It's up there because yeah, I'm I'm known to speak my mind sometimes too much. Um, which I think people find that refreshing that I've heard, but um, yeah, no, my work ethic works comes number one, and 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 that's if I if I can't have a financial security for my family, then I got nothing, um, and that's again goes back to that fear of failure, and and that's why I work work my tits off to to provide for my family and and have the life that we have. Love it, man. Love it. And and funnily enough, uh, that made me think of, I guess, modeling and uh, having having a role model. And, and I know that you were with your with your dad and have a great relationship with your dad, but with your dad till mid mid teens, and and that's around when I stopped having my dad as a a regular reliable influence in my life. Not saying that's what happened with you, but that I had less of an influence from my dad, I guess, from about say 14, 15 on, onwards. So um, I, I'm very similar, um, I guess, in that if I've found impressive males, particularly in the workforce, I guess, as, as managers or supervisors, that uh, particularly if they're you know, about, about 10, 15, 20 years older than me, I, I very much identify with uh, you know, them as almost that sort of father figure and, and appreciate and aspire to, to the values they show. I think it'd be silly not to not to you know cling to successful people. And I listen to podcasts of um, successful businessmen or 
people I admire and and you were mentioning with it I forget who it was about um, different podcasts like the Joe Rogan and and listen to that Kevin Hart I listen to the same podcast and just listening to these successful people is they're no different to us they just do it their way and and are driven and and and, and surround themselves with successful people or people of the same elk and um that's what I try and do. And, 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 and if someone wants to ride with me, then ride with me. I'm cool with that. Um, yeah. Love it, man. So um, obviously you, you, you probably, at least fr- from the outside, at, at the high point of your life at the moment, I know that's not necessarily a fair thing to say, but um, you seem to be in a, in a really good place and have you your ducks in a row, so to speak. But how would you describe your, your current relationship with your mental health? Um, I'm more accepting of, of the fact that it exists. Uh, I know that sounds really, really stupid, um, but for many, many years, I didn't, didn't think twice about it. It wasn't me. It was always the person that, uh, that has depression or anxiety and I, you know, I can never have that because that's just not, I can't accept the fact that I've got mental health issues or, or anything like that. And um, so now it's a yo-yo, it's a yo-yo. And I think that's an ongoing yo-yo, but I know um, what I need and, and how I can deal with things. And don't get me wrong. My position is, is, is not, um, overly uh, bad depression and things like that, but I definitely get into dark places, and um, I use, you know, family. And one thing that works for me is is space. I, I definitely need that space just to think myself in and out of a, 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 a black hole sometimes. And um, I said it's easy when you, yeah, it's easier when you have a, a baby girl that looks at you and smiles and has no fear or idea in the world of just wants to love 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 you and need and and need from you and hug you and it's a, a really really beautiful thing and um in turn that that that's it's also hard because it's all the time it's pressure it's pressure it's pressure it's pressure to to be the best you can be a good father i question even if i'm a good father on a daily basis it's a fear of not being good enough um that self-persecution mate it's 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 there and I've got to be better at that. So that's probably my next step is going, okay, great. I've got the house, got the material shit, got the material shit and I've got the love, but I need to find that love for myself um, because it's never going to, never going to work if, if my kids don't see that. Um, but, but be real about it too, that I don't want to fake it. And at 36, I probably got to that point now that um, you're faking it's over. I gotta gotta do it for me and and make sure that uh, I love myself and 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 progress and um my that my children that my children my wife see that I'm happy with myself and uh, so I know it's sad and I know it's it but yeah I can accept that now it's there and instead of hiding it away and putting it deep and running away and doing all that for the twenties now that you know I think this is the next stage of my life. Which is great. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to, to really work hard on 
hard hard on my mental health to to take me to that next next step. It's um, it's, pure love, pure love for myself. It's funny, man. A lot of kind of um, this not to ignore what you you went to there last, but something that made me think of when you when you started taking us through that is a lot of the guys that um, have reached out to me about this, but haven't maybe felt worthy as a guest. Shall we shall we say? Um, because they they feel very on top of their their shit or whatever. It's like that's that's fantastic. That's you know a part of the spectrum of ways you, you can can feel about you. And and if you are doing that, it's probably you know you, you talk further to these guys and the, and maybe it is that like you they try and be strict to their their round of golf each week for that sort of semi alone time and and, and thinking time, yeah. or that they you know have the relationships you had last week with with your mates about step parenting and teenage boys and 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 that sort of stuff you know just just because your your life hasn't um spectacularly fallen over in some way or that you're not diagnosed with three different things or on or on antidepressants it doesn't mean that you're not actively taking positive measures um to keep yourself in a good space and and that you don't struggle without those things i guess exactly yeah and 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 mental health isn't a, a stigma on the the weak uh, or the 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 or these certain people that that need drugs to help it and, and it it is for everyone everyone has health everyone's has mental health whether it's positive negative or whatever and, and it needs working it it needs it needs to ongoing maintenance as I think you use those words often and that really clicked with me going yeah yeah you're right. And to be fair, mate, you have you've been um, yeah just this in the last few weeks um, to your podcast. Once I knew about it, and not not being a facey as you'd call it, I, I, I um, and it's been great just just listening. And I think I've said to you that without meeting these guests that you have, I feel like I know them. I feel like I know them, and then and some of them have really really hit home and gone cool. I, I appreciate that. So um, talking. Talking's fine. It's not. It doesn't. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of acceptance, and know that yeah, it's it's a work in progress, and it, it needs to be maintained. And I think it's been obvious to. It's probably not the right framing, but but bear with me. I'm sure you'll get what I mean. It's been obvious to the to the quality of the content, I guess, that all of the guys have approached it like like you in in that um, they're very much thinking. Um, you know, well, I'm comfortable with me, and if someone else can get something out of this and, and make their own shit a little bit easier or their own their own path a little bit more fluent, then fantastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But also, listen, you know, it's, it's not that arrogant. You're going, oh, it's all about me. Fuck yeah, it's you know, this is my story, and I want to listen to other people's stories because, like you're like you're sitting there saying that. You know, I'm learning on the way. This is this is my journey. So you jump on board. That's what I'm doing with you, mate. That's that's you know, in partnership. That's that's mentorship. Take that as you will. Not brown nosing. I know. I love it, man. Um, so other than you know, my premier getting his shit together and uh, <laughs> us Victorians being allowed to visit friends again. Um, what's what's something else you're looking forward to other than the next time I come and visit? Oh, yeah, the zombie apocalypse. Open the doors, eh? <laughs> um, 
Yeah. I think... I think I've got to just keep working. Like I think I've said it before, is just looking forward to being more self, working on myself and identifying the areas. You know, I can say work, great, cool. Um, my baby growing up, the kids going to school, that's great. But for, for this targeted discussion, I think me loving myself and, and being able to go, cool, all right, I'm, I'm happy. I am honestly happy. Instead of just saying it and making the words, I can look at myself and go, I'm really happy with where I am. I, I'm happy with what I have and, and accepting that and actually believing it. I love and it, I think man. it's there. I think I'm, I think I'm close. It's funny. Did you watch the um, Jordan doco? Oh, man. Yeah, I was late. I was late, but yeah, I did. For me, well, you know, plenty of that was remarkable, but, but for me... Um, it wasn't him. It was maybe one of their coaching staff. And then there was a quote from him about why well, worry about something that hasn't happened yet sort of thing. Um, but I uh, associated something um, with happiness that they, they said of him, basically that he, he was entirely free of the past or future in the way he approached the game. Like he, he, he literally was just about living the moment he was in. So um they said it with regards to why he had confidence to, you know, take the match-winning shot after having had a dog of a game or having had a, an average couple of games or whatever it m- may be, and and why he was so often successful in that space is is because he 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 was obviously on good enough terms with himself that he could live in that that five seconds per se and and not carry the past or or future and and I thought, you know, reaching that level of comfort would be a a pretty sure way to to be pretty comfortable in your own skin, I think. Oh, I would never. I mean, I looked at that. There was there were certain things. That one thing out of the whole doco while we're on it is that seeing there was something about Sean Kemp um, and or and and a few. There was I forget his name. And he just, there was a there was a training session that he just kept picking on this bloke, this second sort of string player. He just kept picking on him, picking on him, and that's people are seeing it as bullying or whatever, but. What he demanded was you jump on board. You guys jump on board and ride with me because I'll make you a better player. And he may not use that words, but he did. He made, and I think Sean Kemp made this crucial shot in one of the finals games. Um, Sean Kerr. Which he, oh, Sean Kerr. Who's Sean Kemp? Oh, he was a bloody supersonics player. My bad. Um, uh, Kerr. Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr, my bad, my bad, my bad. And, and yeah, he made this shot. And even him, I think he got interviewed and said there was no way <laughs> I, I thought I could have made it sort of thing. And um, so to have that pressure of a city, of a team, of, of millions of people to do what he did was phenomenal. So if you could take a little bit out of, you know, that, that pressure. but And, you know, what, he was probably, I wouldn't say squeaky clean, but he was a pretty clean morally too. So you don't see that in modern day, modern day um, sportsmen because they go downhill pretty quick yeah. it, with that pressure. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably a, a moved mentality as well in terms of wanting to stay in one location and, and, um, you know, b- build a legacy that seems to be that too often in, in sports, the people that reach that potential, are worried about that pinnacle paycheck that's involved in a move somewhere else, and 
Um, I think we've kind of moved past those those times in Premier League and in NBA and stuff where um, it was about yeah. ideally being a one-club player and, and building a legacy. But, yeah. So, this will be an interesting one for you. What's a piece of advice you would give to 18-year-old Colin? <laughs> White noise. Um, the... Work on your relationship with your mum. Ask questions. Get to know. Get to know your mum. Um, I know it's 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 not uh, probably in depth, but yeah, for me that if I had, there's so much that it's probably too late now. And I say that I probably this is where I need to go. You know, look forward to going. Just make that phone call. Ask those questions. But there's reasons. There's there's reasons where. Your parents are just humans. They're not. Um, they're not superheroes. I guess they're still humans. They still bleed. They still have feelings. They they live the thing, and that's I guess when you become a parent, you go, "Well, I'm still going through this stuff. I don't know. I have all the answers." And um, I yeah, I wish I could have. I got to know my mum before I I um. I guess fuck that relationship because she probably blames herself. Uh, actually, I know she blames herself. For leaving, and that was nothing to do with it. But as much as I say that's the case, she doesn't believe me. So, I, I, I want, I want to be able to. Yeah, I should have, I should have said, Colin, sit down, have the time, stopping so self-consumed um, by your own crap, and 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 just listen, listen to your mum's story. It's hard, man, because you know, like you said, um, as particularly as their children, we. We have that um, aura of them that they should be superheroes and should be unflawed and and we're obviously living through a period of our lives where it's it's hard to have the maturity to accept them for their flaws and still put ultimate weight on their their advice and authority and everything else. So um, it's a, it's a real challenge and and obviously you see how many parents it's probably very similar to my relationship with my dad or dad's relationship with the three of us kids is, is the, um, with him, it was near chip on the shoulder, I guess, but, but how damaging, um, that is to that relationship to have to be flawed, particularly to teenagers. Um, seems to be real hard to recover a healthy relationship from. Yeah. I think it, it, as well, when you, you are a parent, you can also talk through those periods where you're going, okay, well, I may not have made the right decision then. And I, there was an incident or an occasion with, with Riley, my oldest, um, where I'd, I'd overstepped the mark or blamed him for something that he didn't do and, and that was a mistake on my behalf. And, and he was a little bit in shock and it upset him, but he didn't feel like he could speak to me about it. So it's, you've got to step up and put your tail between your legs and, Sit and apologize, and and that that's healthy. I think it's, I think it's healthy that you get that same page, but also when it comes time to be that person to to listen and, and advise and and be that hashtag superhero type thing. Very true, man. Very true. Um, well, this will be an interesting one because you're probably one of the very few people um, that knows me very well. So, be interesting to. Hear what you you come up with, or 
what topic it is that you'd like to discuss. It, as you know, because you're a big supporter of the, of the platform, um, t- tend to turn the mic over to the to the guest at the end and and discuss anything that's pressing for them or or answer questions for what limited credential I I have on anything they'd like to discuss. So so uh, floor is yours, mate. That's probably the hardest question, uh, I, I, and this, and I, I really don't have the words to to ask it, so I'm sort of just talk it through. So I've, I've got two: one based on the topic at hand for this platform, but another one just to pick your brain because because I want to hear your opinion of it because it's something that concerns me a little bit. But <clears throat> um, I'm I've got to sort of talk through the question because I'm reading my question now because I got it on paper and it sounds like shit. So I actually read the questions in your experience. In your experience, how can you tell the difference between okay and okay? Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Is it, you're happy for me? I feel like I know what you're asking. Do you want to talk more? Or are you happy for me to? Cool. Take the take it, man. Um, I don't think you do often enough, unfortunately. Um. I think um, one of the unfortunate aspects of mm, of um, you know someone having made that ultimate decision and and unfortunately, I think I've had three people very close to me now. It's at least three anyway, and and obviously we 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 shared one of those experiences of of having someone who um, we both took under our wing. Uh, choose to end it. Um, so I think a lot of the times you don't know at the point that it matters because um, there seems to be, in many cases, a, a level of euphoria associated with someone having ultimately made the decision that they think is going to end all their pain. Um, so it's very easy for that to be misinterpreted if we are lucky enough, um, hopefully lucky enough, to, to be there at the point when it would make a difference to whether or not someone kills themselves shortly thereafter. Um, young gentleman I coached in, in footy over here a couple of years back, nearly two years ago, that did he, um, he was quite jovial at school that day from all reports and and he probably wasn't someone that you would have assumed was depressed anyway. He was more your mould of person that just made everything about everyone else very selfless, very supportive, that style of, of person, I guess. Um, but he was very jovial that day. But I guess, um, you know, trying to trying to do things like this more often is is a way you can know, um, you know, converse with someone long enough that they'll hopefully let the, the bullshit filter down a little bit. Um. And then just for your own for your own peace of mind, like I was thinking about you saying about calling your, your mum and stuff, sometimes you just have a vibe that you should do something and, and life gets busy. I was um you know, you talk about that that biannual call. I was I was probably due for my oh, maybe quarterly or thirdly or biannual call to, to dad when I got the call from my sister saying that he'd had a huge aneurysm and we need to go and okay them turn him off sort of thing and and um as you and probably not many people know, I actually saw, uh, visually saw Cody the afternoon uh, of the night that he shot himself and was driving in the opposite direction to him as he was going to work. And um, he, he actually looked shithouse. He looked miserable driving the other way. And uh, it was my absolute intent to call him 
Um, I think I was running late for work maybe, so I didn't pull over to use the phone and that was when I was in the bunky Commodore, so I certainly didn't have hands free or anything. <laughs> but I'd intended on doing that when I got to East East Perth and, and um, obviously try not to be too regretful about it, but didn't. And uh, we know we know what happened thereafter. So I don't think, unfortunately, you can do a lot more than obviously as a broader society trying to make it as easy as possible, comfortable as possible for people to talk about um, their shit and, and then try not to be awkward and inconvenienced when they do. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess not assume, um, as you and I are old enough to, not assume that you, you know what's going on in someone's lives just because you have them on social media because it's, you know, a very distorted version of of their lives. No, no one's putting the mundane shit on there that might be building up to a problem. They're just putting the, the good or the very bad usually and, and neither of those necessarily are the warning sign, I guess. So um, I, I, don't, I don't have a clean answer for you, mate. I, you know, I've thought pretty hard about the three ones that I've been closely involved in, um, you know, and, and, and they're all so different as well. I, I, I think all we can do is try and make ourselves available, like you said, two ears, one mouth, and, and when you do get the chance to have any sort of a chat of merit, um, make sure you, you're in the moment and, uh, you know, be available for their vulnerability maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and and I appreciate I appreciate your your transparency, and 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 I, I do I guess you know the the background of that question with with Cody, where I don't want ever to to feel like I could have done something, and there's no blame. I don't I don't I don't blame myself for anything. I think there was deeper deeper lying lying issues there, but I look at it. What can I do now? With especially okay, I, look, I think of the cricket club, and there's been multiple occasions where we have I'll, I'll put a full stop there when there's this is it okay or are you okay days and things like that and I just find that the, the question be, becomes shallow um, because it's asked so many times I, I don't know my words aren't coming out right but are you okay there's, there's either a you okay and I want to listen or oh, yeah, are you okay and it's like yeah yeah mate no worries and I don't want to get the yeah, yeah, no worries and there actually be something. So, and it's hard because I don't want to go dig deep going, well, no, I yeah, I yeah. And then I become an asshole for thinking, like you said, presuming that someone's got an issue or have an idea of what's going on in their life. But I want to get past that. Are you okay? Yeah, mate, to nah, let's, I mean it. I mean it without being a cocky prick. So I guess that was the base of the question where, you know, uh, maybe I, I, I need to find some tools and things as well where you're in the change rooms at the cricket club where there's multiple people around and not do it at that sort of stage. But no, guys, I am here to talk with. I am here for you, for anything. And if you're ever comfortable to come see me or or because, you know, men will be men at the end of the day and, I think that stigma is coming down, but slowly. And um, I, th I think yeah. Yeah, it's, um, I'm not sure if it was actually within an interview or a talk beforehand, but someone said about, no, no offence to Are You Okay specifically, because it's obviously done incredible things, but 
Basically. Of course, yeah. Sorry, yeah. No, no, no. I've, I've, I've said things I've had to catch myself on in in that space as well. But you know, as how do we stop that those things become a cliche, like you said, or become t-shirt companies or or whatever it may be? I think you just have to, like you said, take it that one step further. Whether it's something as formal as workshopping, you know, discussing what are signs that you can collectively look out for, and hope that someone's volunteering something from their own own path in that but i think more often than not um you know it, it, it potentially needs to be away from the crowd or, or even it's it's guys like you and i being vulnerable to the crowd and hopefully that makes us obvious as approachable to someone who can then time place pick their, their chance to to come to us and be a bit guard down um mm. I, you know i think uh i think at the end of the, the day there's there's some people that you, you're not going to be able to get to because it's just so varied. Like you think like, um, you know, I think about the three suicides I've been close to. And one was, I guess, signs of, of a more classical depression in terms of withdrawal from things and, um, you know, making everything about everyone else and, and that sort of stuff. One was from a, a seriously traumatic event, I guess, in, in there was a guy that um, had a, significant injury that he uh, had a big car crash and was struggling to deal with that and then um due to his his behavior i guess lost his his family and and then gave up on mm. him um and then you have people like cody who's um it was a you know once we knew what the story was as to what had spiraled to that point it's it's fairly unlikely fucking chain of events to to start with and then you have someone who's fairly extroverted and and great fun and hadn't at that stage withdrawn from anything was still riding to his sport and um was out drinking on the weekend and yeah uh, his his videos on youtube and um you know how do you how do you see that you you and i were closer to it than than anyone and um you know i'd love to have made that call but uh i'm not going to spend years beating myself up about it and i'm not even sure entirely that it would have made the difference you know and and that was right at mm. the tipping point so if 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 i feel that way about that moment I'm, I'm not sure that anyone else that didn't know their family circumstances and the real specifics of it um yeah there's no one else that should be beating themselves up about it. sometimes you just don't fucking know yeah yeah and and yeah you're right and it's 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 you don't want to presume there's an issue either and, and dig too deep and and get ahead of yourself and be this, uh, you know, messiah of <laughs> of mental health because that's far from it. I just, yeah, I think it's op- uh, go into a situation with your arms open and your ears open and 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 say that I'm here and 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 hopefully people people identify that as 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 that that exactly you're happy to listen and and that's that's let's work together. Um, and and this platform for you is is well f- well for me this platform is is perfect. That's this is my, you know. I don't think you realise it, which but yeah, thank you. It's been great. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I've been. I think I've crapped on about that enough. But it, like I said, it was something I did to to chase some karma and I guess use some of some of my experience and and I still can't get my head around um, just how well it's been received was that the second part of that question or was that the first part oh sorry yes well okay so off this topic i was talking well it's been in my head and obviously there's there's 
COVID that's happened this year, but on a larger scale, in my opinion, there's this, this Black Lives Matter movement. And I don't have Facebook, so I don't I don't see your your posts or things or or, or anyone's sort of opinion. And I'm so I was brought up um, by a father who was um, who influenced me in many different ways, but politics was was a major one. So he was a part of the Young Liberals with John Howard, so you can see what angle I'm coming from, and and. Um, it was that way or the highway. It still is, but the, and and it's taken me probably. There was a question. There is a question. Um, it's taken me thirty six years or thirty five years to realise that there's other opinions, and you need to accept other people's opinion at other. There's there's it's not just black and white. There's there's definitely grey areas and things. And I think with this Black Lives Matter, um, I guess my question is, you know, have we lost our history in Australia? As because we can't discuss it, I'm finding that the boys come home and and they they get a very um, one sided uh, opinion taught to them at schools. Being in public schools, it's always been the case. Um, and we talked about the stolen generation the other day, uh, which is I said our oh, history, and they said, "Oh, what do you learn about the stolen generation?" It was very much black and white. Just pardon the the, the the pun, but it, that's what it was. I said, well, there's, there's gray areas. And then you see this history about racism in this country or Captain Cook and um, how we, you know, it is our history, but it feels like we've got a gag order on us because we can't talk about it. Have you found that it's, it's a difficult situation now that we've lost a little bit of our history? Um, something, and you probably listened to it, but something Colin, uh, Lily said last week. So Colin's, um, partner, if you didn't pick that up is Jacinta Price. So, uh, she's, um, a very intelligent and, and formidable woman, but I guess other people would say that she's found a little bit of a, a niche in, in being, a, an indigenous conservative, shall we say. Um, and, uh, he was talking about some of the, the hate mail and stuff that they get. Um, and, and, and he said that. You know, um, starting a conversation is great, it's, but it's only when we stop having a conversation that we get in in trouble. And mm. I don't know that Australia, um, obviously we tend to mimic the states a little bit, but I don't know if we're as divided. Well, I know we're not as divided as the media lead us to, to be, um, lead us to think we are, so to speak. So obviously traditional media is really dying to death, so they need to chase clickbait and they need to live in the extremes so to speak. So, um, you know, you think about your extreme left, other than the, you know, the proud Indigenous people, say say in Melbourne, that were part of um, the Black Lives Matter march, then you've also got anyone who feels that they're in some way part of, uh, you know, a definable um, minority who want to play a little bit of tribalism and, I guess, think that reversing the inflow of justice is is somehow justice and, and people think that this is some sort of a huge movement. Now, I guess with um, education curriculum, um, that, that probably does start to be more of an issue in Australia. But I think in a broader sense, it's not necessarily true. Like, uh, I think even in America where things are far more political than us, there's something like 5% of the population identify as being 
far right, like, you know, borderline neo-Nazis. And um, yeah, right. there's like 6 or 7% or uh, I guess your, your far left sort of people that would agree with, you know, would share and Fanta post or, or something like that. So um, we, we tend to do the same thing in the, in the media in, in Australia um, is that because they promote this huge polarisation in that you're either a Nazi or you're um, a progressive extremist, uh, we think that's you know, in some way indicative of broader broader Australian society and it's just absolute bullshit like i know the the marches in perth have been quite well attended obviously um you know ha- have a very large and, and and proud and and beautiful indigenous population in perth but in melbourne mm. um the rally had somewhere between 10 and twenty thousand people there now if that was a football match yeah. any football match any weekend it would be on the news for being under attended um so this huge divide that's being portrayed is is just bullshit but what it potentially is costing us is that you know, there's no conversation in the other 85 percent accordingly, um, or not meaningful conversation, which is which is disappointing. And about the topics that that you mentioned, you know, um, our history in in part is 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 pretty ugly, and we need to um, have a look at um, the way that we celebrate that versus remembering that, shall we say? But at the same time. Um, in most Western countries, and and certainly in Australia, we've gone from, you know, horrific injustice to really quite civilized society where there's a fair degree of um, equality in a 160 year period, and all of the key decisions that have forced that uh, have been, you know, the majority of the majority voting to progress society. Um, you know, in Australia, I think our our indigenous population is only two point seven percent or something of our, our broader population. Um, so yeah. it, it's not like through weight of numbers or outrage that they've alone made um, those great progressions happen. It's by the the maturation of society, and as we've become a a global society, there's that peer pressure as well. Of particularly in the West, if we're if we're representing ourselves as democratic and and progressive. Um, and and definitely opposed to to the communist nations around the place, um, we just can't afford to be being these, you know, outrageous pricks that are killing the the native landholders or or taking their kids or whatever it, it may be. Um, and and you know, even if it is just that peer pressure, at the end of the day, the majority of the majority every time it's matters ha- has voted to to move society forward, or or in the likes of America, fought in wars to move society forward. So. Um, it, it, it frustrates me the way it's portrayed because there's, there's really serious conversations that, that need to be have that the media isn't allowing to be played out in the public eye maybe because they're going, they're going for clickbait. It's like everyone between huh. the extreme left and like really, you know, so let's say one, even one nation voters, everything in the middle is people that would love the country to progress. And and that that conversation is not getting to be to be played out publicly, and it's um, incredibly dangerously slow. Um, and and you know the the people that want to play in that sort of cancel culture that you're talking about, where we need to rip down anything that tells the story of the shit beginnings that we've come from, um, they need to think about how they're treating. 
let's say the more centralist people, let alone the conservative people, because, um, you know, if we want to have a talk about inequality, uh, then we'll start to have a, con- a talk about quality of healthcare and education, um, uh, I guess, as, as your key KPIs for our Indigenous community. Um, now, whilst they've improved dramatically over the years, um, an aspect of why it is still bad is because we support these remote communities, which is where these people traditionally come from and in many cases um, still still want to live, as opposed to moving them somewhere more centralised where uh, education, jobs, healthcare can be provided at a better scale, attract better workers to provide the services and the likes. Why that becomes an issue if we start actually focusing on, on what is the, the injustice and racism in Australia is, um, I think... Stats vary, but somewhere between more and half and 80% of Indigenous Australians that live in built-up areas end up in relationships with non-Indigenous Australians. So you apply that at scale to what is only 2.7% of our population. Where where are we in four generations' time um, in terms of our beautiful Indigenous culture and and heritage? In, In fucking huge trouble, like, as in not much of it still exists. So... Hmm because we're not having these difficult conversations because it's either my way or the highway, we're not discussing, okay, so with some fucking urgency, we need to work out how we make lives better for our indigenous population, better healthcare, um, better education, better employment opportunities whilst maintaining their culture. Cause it's, it's a significant um, bottleneck that we're, we're coming to and, and you know, no one wants to have a conversation or hear an opinion that's, slightly different to theirs so we're not addressing it at all yeah uh, well said i mean i appreciate that opinion and i'll be honest with you it's it's only in the last sort of five years that i've been able to accept other things as i was i was that person i was that one viewed this is right you are wrong I can't accept that. And so this is why I want to grow and, 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 and uh, do what I do my bit. Uh, and I think it, a racism and I'd, and, and I'm one of those white, white fuckers that would say I'm not a racist, but I'd probably, I probably am. So I think it's understanding what racism is and I'm starting to, because it doesn't what, no matter what scale racism is racism it's 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 like i said if you don't hire someone in your employment or you 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 say black i guess that's where i've got to work out the way i can i can help in my own way but i think it's a generational thing it's going to take generations of education um to to help that to help the, the 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 reduction of racism i don't think it's ever going to be gone i know that's probably a little bit and uh it's probably a little bit of a negative attitude for it but uh, i think if we can reduce it and and are you saying that you think it would be better for them to come back to the cities and the large cities for work or no i, I, I don't think that's work n- opportunities I, I don't i don't know the answer i'm, I'm not intelligent mm. enough to know the answer i don't necessarily have the experience to but what's hugely evident to me um is that, you know, something like, uh, I should have the stats in front of me because I was only looking at it the other day, but 80% of the, I think it's down to eight-year 
life expectancy difference between broader Australia and Indigenous Australia um, is attributed to very common things like healthcare, education, um, and substance abuse, I, f- I think. Things primarily associated with living remote effectively. Um, and and okay. for, for me, the concern is, is if, if we don't start to all come to the table and have a conversation, um, like people talking about um, Indigenous deaths in custody per se, um, people splash out statistics like the, the 432 since the, the Royal Commission in 1990, I think it was. If you throw out something like that uncredentialed, then it takes three minutes of research to realise that in terms of their percentage of the prison population, Indigenous Australians are underrepresented in deaths in custody. You, you farm, you're significantly more likely or at least more likely um, to die in prison if you're a, a Caucasian, as per your percentage of the population. But they're something like 18 times overrepresented in the prison population. So then that conversation flows back to education, employment opportunities, and, and then we start having the real conversation that gets real scary about, okay, so how do we improve those things whilst still allowing, um, among other measures, uh, our Indigenous population to live remote um, with a mind to maintaining their culture? Because the, mm. an- the answer isn't moving them all to the city because then we don't have a culture for them in three or four generations if, if they keep... Um, you know, yeah. if the, the, for lack of a more PC term, if the interracial breeding continues, um, you know, it, it absolutely bastardizes the, the cultural integrity of our indigenous population very quickly. unless we, um, manage to really, really harbor the, the arts aspect. Um, and I guess the, uh, curriculum that we, we mentioned earlier in terms of indigenous history in, in the broader curriculum. Um, so it's a difficult conversation for our nation to have sometime in the next 200 years. And, and at the moment, no one's fucking having a conversation full stop. Yeah, tough. Yeah, real tough. Real tough. And I think representation in in uh, in the Senate, uh, the House of Representatives, is, is paramount for, um, for growth in this country. Um, and, and, and I'm hoping Colin's wife and things like that is, is going to help that. That's another problem that seems to be, to some extent, some extent, um, it's a bit of a generalisation, but but the case at the moment is um, when you have conservative voices, shall we say, like like her and Warren Mundine, and um, uh, there's there's a couple of others ar- around that the sort of people that would be on Sky News, shall we say, um, from the Indigenous community, uh, because yeah. they're I need to be careful how I say this as well so it's not kind of in line with my own political... Because they give a different ab- opinion, I guess, or let's just say that their values on or their interpretation of what's going on in Australia is from a more conservative standpoint, like you would have grown up listening to, um, they get absolutely fucking massacred by, by um, the, let's say, the vocal left within their own community or maybe the broader vocal left. There's, there's certainly plenty of... Um, you know, affluent white kids that have have done two semesters of arts at uni and, and suddenly need to tell these Indigenous people what their life must be fucking like. Um, but, but, yeah, it's very polarised, long story short. So when you, when you get people that have followed the academic path and you would think, I guess, in having lived quite a quote-unquote white life, um, that, that say that racism isn't nearly as big a part of Australia as you might think, or there's plenty of opportunities there or whatever it is. Lots of people don't like to hear that. 
um, not not even slightly. So so whether that's again a, a broader symptom of the media clickbaiting and and only covering the extremes, or or whether it is a broader symptom of of um, uh, the political um, the political pendulum within within our indigenous community. It's it's concerning uh, that it seems to be either one way or the other. Okay. Yeah, I think, yeah. And with 2.7%, as you say, of the population, it's going to be very hard to get those those people in seats and for at least a short-term period anyhow. It's, yeah. well, it'd be a great start to just, <laughs> to just get those sort of people to, to have a conversation. I mean, you, you look at your very um, clearly intelligent uh, but but also affluent and influential um, Indigenous Australians who uh, like to to represent the people and have a, a voice on the topic. So um, the sort of people that come to mind is is like the musician Briggs, um, uh, Adam Goods, although he hasn't been in, in public life as much recently. Um, and and he copped a hammering though, didn't he? Adam Goods just for speaking up. He copped a hammering. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, that, that was obviously atrocious. That that was a that was a classic example of a, a guess of of our worst. You know, being real comfortable when our Indigenous Australians can jump high and kick the ball far, but not real good when they they want to um, have an opinion and and try and improve things mm. for their people. But back to what I was saying, if if you bring people the, the articulate very intelligent people from that side of the political spectrum together with your likes of, um, you know, you're just in, just in a price and Warren Mundine and, and the more conservative uh, members who have taken more the business path that rather than say an arts or sports path, it'd be great to get, uh, you know, all these people in, in the one room to have a conversation and a conversation about what square one is, uh, I guess as well in terms of the reconciliation process, like, you know, it's nice to fight and be rebellious and try and change the world, but what does the world change look like for us? Like, where are we trying to get to and what's the most efficient path there? Because I don't think many people being vocal in the space would actually um, have a well-formed opinion on that. You know, I think you, you get so caught up in fighting something that you're not actually sure what the end goal is to an extent. Yeah, and I guess that goes back to the original question about uh, you feeling like you're getting that gag, uh, that gag on you because you you're being muzzled and 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 having those conversations. So it's sort of counterintuitive, um, and 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 not being able to talk it. But these these discussions need to be had. So that's was probably, you know, I love your take on it. I really do because it's sort of just um, re-educating me on different views and making sure that I'm aligning with my morals and not just being black and white to, to make sure that I've got that gray area and, and, and educating myself because I hate nothing. I hate more than having people having an opinion based on nothing, no education. No, no, they haven't read the topic or, um, so I think it's for me to have an opinion. I want to educate myself and, and, and understand, understand other people's views. So thank you for that answer off, off, topic of this platform that's that's fine man and i'm um you know not an authority's asshole on the topic so to speak but it, it does interest me and and i do um have a genuine interest in in the you know us us reaching a, a good place as a as a nation where um we pay adequate homage to our 
our incredible Indigenous history and, and where it is maintained, if not amplified, um, but where people are, you know, in agreement that we're in reach a position where everyone has, um, you know, a quality of outcome, outcome to try and go and give whatever they want in life a crack and that we can try and move on and fight bigger and better things like, I don't know, improving life expectancy or curing key diseases or being becoming more more technologically advanced in our in our power resources and better on the environment and all that sort of stuff I feel has far more importance than than what we're dealing with at the moment. Mm. Here, here. Yeah. Well that's probably um us, bro, after you made me get on my fucking soapbox and be political, which I didn't really want to do. But I I very much appreciate uh, sorry, you putting some energy into it. Um, we'll probably leave it there, dear sir, because as you heard earlier, I've got um, unexpected, well, relatively expected guests, I guess, that I've got to go and and, and tend to. But I um I, I hugely appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to having a, a proper chat to to the five of you in in the next week or so, and getting across to see you as soon as possible. Much love. Appreciate it, man. Proud of you. See you, man. Love you. You too. Cheers, mate. Blokes, thanks again for tuning in. Really hope you got something out of that. Start having those conversations with your mates, with your family, with a mental health professional if you need to. There's absolutely no shame in it. If you want to reach out to us or follow along, we're on Facebook or Instagram under Blokes Don't Talk. Uh, and to listen, we're available on all your good podcast platforms. Share it with a mate. Even if you're not quite sure, worst he can do is tell you he's not that interested. Might come back to you in a month or two and, and have really got something out of it. Thanks again. Talk next week. <laughs>